the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. The answer. Yes, indeed, it is. And we continue on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Thanks for joining us as we continue at uh, on this uh, t- Wednesday. Rather, I'm a little out of sorts. I apologize. I'm sick. I shouldn't be here. Shouldn't be doing the show today. But uh, the impeachment, the coup d'état against the president of the United States, demands that I give uh, this my very best efforts, and that's why I'm trying to analyze this for you, share with you what you may have missed last night um, uh, in the coverage of this, and uh, and to take your thoughts on it too. So that's why I'm here. If I sound a little lousy, I apologize for that. But uh, it's the 22nd morning of the first month of the year of our Lord 2020. It's more important that I get that in there too. All right. Uh, if you want to weigh in on anything that you heard in hour number one, dial up. Uh, we'll have uh, open phone lines for this half hour. We do have a guest coming up at 1035. We're going to talk about the other side, uh, speaking of the uh, presidency and the battle for the nomination for the presidency on the Democrat side and the entirety of the Democrat pool, the cesspool of candidates that remains, um, are for Medicare for all. And we're going to talk to an expert on Medicare and talk about the folly of what that would, uh, uh, of that idea and what that would mean to you and your pocketbook and your medical care. Uh, in the United States going forward. So we'll talk to her coming up at 1035. So we are open in this half hour. And I want to pivot away for a moment, since I did the whole first hour on um, the impeachment uh, uh, hoax, the uh, coup d'etat. I want to go to uh, the media on this side, uh, in this segment. And here's what I mean. I've got two stories here, both of which underline and underscore that today's American media, quite simply, does not value truth. In fact, one might say, and I will say, they have embraced falsehoods. Their narrative, their agenda, is all to perpetuate through their own quote-unquote power as the fourth estate, falsehoods that advance their own political viewpoints. 
President Trump has called the media the enemy of the people. Not all media, of course. He's talking about the fake news media, and he's talking about, well, organizations like the two that I'm about to tell you about. One is a television network. The other one is a newspaper. And both of them are equally infuriating. Let's start with the television network. Let's start with CNN. Do you remember Steve Cortez? Steve Cortez, not that it should matter, but it kind of does, I guess. Steve Cortez um, is, uh, is a Latino reporter and contributor to CNN. And he is kind of, you know, a little bit their token uh, by giving him a little bit of airtime and a little bit of an opportunity to, to opine by way of columns on the website at CNN.com and occasional guest appearances to analyze things. He's kind of token, you know, a little bit like Juan Williams in that he is the only liberal on the panel of the five on Fox News. You know, he's he's the liberal that they have to give a little bit of time to. It's kind of like... Um, Megan McCain, even though she's not necessarily a real conservative, but she's a bit of the token conservative on the view. So, you know, he was kind of marginalized, but he was there. And he's no longer there. Steve Cortez says that he was forced out now as a CNN contributor because he dared to refute accusations of racism against Donald Trump over the comments about the terrible tragedy with the political rally in Charlottesville, South Carolina, two years ago. He argued and said that CNN got rid of him because of a PragerU video that I played for you when it came out several months ago, where he defended the president and proved very deliberately and very succinctly, I thought, that any allegations or arguments that President Trump praised white nationalists or white supremacists, or neo-Nazis at the 2017 Charlottesville rally, that he praised them and called them very fine people. He explained his claims on uh, Laura Ingram last night. He said, I really detailed why that is a lie, the Charlottesville lie, the fine people hoax, the president never called neo-Nazis fine people. And for committing what I thought, or excuse me, what was, I guess, the unpardonable sin in the eyes of CNN leadership, for declawing that deception, they continued to push, and they put me on the bench. They took me off the air completely after I did a Prager video that got 6 million hits detailing exactly why the Charlottesville myth was a deception. You know what CNN's primary line here is. They still say it. Don Lemon does. Chris Cuomo does. Even uh, Democratic uh, candidates in the cesspool. Joe Biden continues to say and repeat the lie that Donald Trump called neo-Nazis and and, uh, white nationalists and white supremacists very fine people in his remarks after the terrible death of Heather Heyer and the uh, violence that was committed as uh, two organizations opposing sides of Confederate war statues and monuments uh, clashed in Charlottesville. Ingram, Laura Ingram last night asked Cortez if CNN specifically cited the video in the notification of his dismissal. And he said they did verbally, but not in writing. He said, but they did tell me it directly related to the Charlottesville video. The president retweeted it, the PragerU video that I did. The president retweeted it. It got millions of views. And the strong work we did at improving the truth of the matter is what cost me my job. Now, I'm going to play for you. Uh, a portion of that video, the PragerU video that Steve Cortez narrated, that truly did expose the lie. And this is, and by the way, this matters also because of what's going to happen in uh, in ten months. We're going to vote for a new president of the United States. Donald Trump is still going to be on the ballot because he's going to be acquitted in this impeachment hoax. 
And there's go, there are going to be continued efforts by the left to say you can't vote for this racist. Look what he said in Charlottesville. Joe Biden is still saying it on the campaign trail, for goodness sakes. They're lying about what Donald Trump said and about what Donald Trump meant. And Steve Cortez exposed it. It cost him his job on CNN. Politicians lie. We all know that. This is not an indictment of all politicians. It's simply part of the game. It's our job as informed citizens to figure out the truth. And that's where journalists and the media come in. They are supposed to help us ferret out fact from fiction. So when they get a fact wrong, that's bad. When they get a fact wrong, know it's wrong, and don't correct it, that's worse. That's not getting a fact wrong. That's a lie. And that's journalistic malfeasance. The best, or maybe worst, example of this followed a presidential press conference at Trump Tower on Tuesday, August 15th, 2017. You remember what happened that previous weekend. A group of white supremacists held a white pride rally in Charlottesville, Virginia. The ostensible reason was to protest the removal of a statue of Confederate General Robert E. Lee. An Antifa group showed up to counter-protest. The mayor and the police were totally unprepared to deal with the violence that ensued. Tragically, a young woman, Heather Heyer, was run over and killed by a neo-Nazi. The press conference itself was raucous. The media was antagonistic. The president was combative. Out of it all, one phrase eclipsed the thousands of words exchanged. The media reported that President Trump described neo-Nazis as very fine people. Only he didn't. In fact, he didn't even hint at it. Just the opposite. He condemned the neo-Nazis in no uncertain terms. So then, who were the fine people he mentioned? The answer? He was referring to another group of Charlottesville demonstrators who came out that weekend. Protesters who wanted the Robert E. Lee statue removed and protesters who wanted to keep the statue and restore the park's original name. This is what President Trump said about those peaceful protesters. You also had some very fine people on both sides. You had people in that group that were there to protest the taking down of, to them, a very, very important statue and the renaming of a park from Robert E. Lee to another name. A few moments later, in case there would be any misunderstanding, he makes his meaning even more explicit. I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis and the white nationalists. They should be condemned totally. Lest you have any doubts that good people were in Charlottesville to protest the removal of the Robert E. Lee statue, the New York Times confirmed it in a story they published the next day, August 16th. Good people can go to Charlottesville, said Michelle Percy, a night shift worker at a Wichita, Kansas retirement home who drove all night with a conservative group that opposed the planned removal of a statue of the Confederate General Robert E. Lee. After listening to Mr. Trump on Tuesday, she said it was as if he had channeled her and her friends who had no interest in standing with Nazis or white supremacists. There's another simple test that we can employ to prove that the president was not referring to the neo-Nazis as fine people. It's so obvious, it's painful to mention. The president's daughter and son-in-law are Orthodox Jews. 
his grandchildren are Jewish. And if that's still not enough to convince you, how about this? Does anyone believe that Donald Trump thinks they're a good Antifa? The leftist thugs who are counter-protesting the neo-Nazi thugs? After all, if those two groups were the only ones involved, and there were fine people on both sides, that means the president believed that there were fine Antifa people. Even MSNBC should have found that hard to swallow. Again, the very fine people on both sides President Trump described at the press conference were the people who wanted to remove the Robert E. Lee statue and the people who wanted to keep it. Both of these groups were nonviolent protesters, fine people with very different ideological views. The scandal of Charlottesville is not what President Trump said about neo-Nazis. It's what the media said President Trump said about neo-Nazis. It's a scandal because news reporting is supposed to be about gathering facts, not promoting an agenda. In Charlottesville, they got it exactly backwards. We have been living with the consequences ever since. Plainly put, ABC, CBS, NBC, NPR, The New York Times, The Washington Post, and the others spread a malicious lie that has poisoned our national dialogue. So for exposing that lie in the video slash audio that you just heard, Steve Cortez has been fired by CNN. CNN wants nothing to do with truth. And I told you there were two stories that I wanted to use to expose the media's just literal abandonment of all truth and objectivity. The other one came from a newspaper. It came from the Denver Post. Its egregiousness matches that of the CNN story that you just heard. A columnist has been fired for telling the truth. Scientifically proven truth. I'll share that part of the story with you next on AM 1420, The Answer. Live and let die. Bob France, here on AM 1420, The Answer. Live and let die. So if you are following me on social media, as I tell you all the time, France Radio, uh, I just put this on the Facebook side. I did not yet get it to Twitter or Parler, but I'm going to share this with you, and you can find it at your own leisure at France Radio on Facebook. The second half of the story about today's modern media being completely uh, at, at at a disconnect with the truth. They have no interest whatsoever in truth or facts any longer. They have only an interest in propagating, propagandizing, uh, their opinions and uh, and sharing their own narrative in order to shape public opinion. The other example is from the Denver Post. A columnist from the Denver Post named John Caldera, who is also the president of a libertarian independence institute, announced yesterday that he has been fired from the Post due to a, quote, difference in style that his editors found, quote, too insensitive. What did he do? He dared to declare what is anatomically, physiologically, and chromosomally scientifically proven, that there are two sexes, not three nor four nor 17 nor 94, two sexes. It's just that simple. And the Denver Post fired him for it. 
because that's not sensitive. My column said Caldera is not a soft-voiced, sticky-sweet, NPR-styled piece which employs the language now mandated by the victim-centric, identity-politics-driven media. He said this on Facebook. What seemed to be the last straw for my column was my insistence that there are only two sexes and my frustration that we, that, uh, that to be inclusive of the transgendered, we must lose our right to free speech. Even the word transgendered, he says, by the way, is not allowed in the Denver Post. Caldera criticized an Associated Press directive saying that sex and gender are not binary. There are only two sexes identified by an XX or XY chromosome, he wrote. That is the very definition of binary. The AP ruling it, ruling it isn't so doesn't change science. It's a premeditative attempt to change culture and policy. It's activism, he wrote on January 3rd. In a column two weeks later, Caldera also railed against a 2019 Colorado law that required elementary school children to be instructed in transgender ideology. Some parents weren't thrilled a couple years back when during their school, uh, their little ones in Boulder Valley School District were treated to videos starring a transgender teddy bear touching the ki- teaching the kids rather how to misuse pronouns or when Colorado's trans community choir sang to the kids about a transgender raven Caldera wrote what are the protections for a parent who feels transgender singing groups and teddy bears with gender dysphoria might be stigmatizing for their kid Caldera said he was fired by the paper's editorial editorial page editor, Megan Schrader, according to an interview with Westward that he published on Monday. Megan told me I was the page's most read columnist, but there's now a permanently and perpetually offended class, and in order to speak, you need to use their terminology. There's a whole lot of you can't say is you can't say that as I'm going on right now. In an email to the Washington Free Beacon, from which I found this story. Schrader confirmed that she did fire Caldera, but refused to discuss the reason. Quote, I am writing a job description as we speak to fill his position. I hope that conservative Colorado writers will apply, knowing that we value conservative voices on our pages and don't have a litmus test for their opinions. End quote. The chutzpah of that editor to dare suggest that we want conservative writers to, to have a say in the Denver Post, but they just fired one for not caving in to the AP's style book, which is ch- changing and shifting based on political correctness. Po- political correctness and quote-unquote offensive language. I'm going to say this out loud. Denver Post, NPR, New York Times, and anybody else who might be listening. Mr. Caldera isn't right. Science is right. This isn't an opinion by John Caldera. This isn't his view. This is 100% accepted science. Now, to all of you leftist, personal, or, or uh, uh, politically correct, hair-triggered, emotional PPO members, If you are demanding that climate change is accepted science, which it most certainly is not, then you absolutely have no reason to doubt what is accepted science. Physiological science. Anatomical science. Chromosomal science. Proves that sex is binary. Gender is binary. There's XX 
and there's XY, and there is no third option. It is binary. The AP, which Mr. Caldera said, the AP declaring this to not be true, does not change the fact that it is. But the bigger point here is that the Denver Post fired a guy for speaking truth. CNN fired a guy for using 100% provable audio and written proof about what Donald Trump said. The modern mainstream media is a disgrace. It is an embarrassment. And yes, President Trump is right. It's an enemy of the people. We'll be back. Topia.com. Ten thirty-five. As we continue now on AM fourteen twenty, the answer. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for dealing with my nasally raspy voice as I f- uh, battle through whatever this is. I fear though that it's at the beginning stages. You're going to have to deal for it in a couple of days anyway. My son, my son had whatever this is, and it lasted about two weeks. Uh, I finally just kind of got it, so I'm working my way through it. Uh, thank you seriously for your understanding. I want to move on now. Talking uh, in the fo- whole first hour, we spoke about the uh, impeachment of the president of the United States and the ridiculous trial to. Uh, essentially stage or finish or complete the coup d'etat, the soft coup to remove the president under false pretenses. Uh, Let's talk about what happens if the other side wins. Let's talk about what happens if President Trump is either removed from power and then the new uh, Republican nominee uh, has to run against one of these uh, Democrat nominees, or if it is President Trump but a Democrat wins. Everybody on the Democrat debate stage, back when they had about 20 people on it, raised their hands when asked, would your Medicare for All plans cover illegal aliens? Every single one of them raised their hands, indicating that every single one of them believes in the idea of Medicare for All. Universal health care coverage, government-funded, government-run, and government-controlled. This is what they all want. Two of the leading contenders, uh, and I'm talking about Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, have been the most outspoken about this. What would happen if they won? And they were able to use majorities in the legislature to to actually advance and pass something that I, I never thought that Obamacare would pass. I never thought I'd see the day that something as ridiculous as Obamacare, a mandate that everybody must buy a private product or else face fines and or jail. So I don't think it can't happen. If the wrong president wins and the wrong party is in power, they can absolutely make this happen. What would that be like? Joining us now to discuss it is somebody who wrote a book on it. Sally Pipes uh, wrote False Premise, False Promise, The Disastrous Reality of Medicare for All. And Sally Pipes uh, joins us now. She's the president, CEO, and Thomas W. Smith Fellow in Healthcare Policy at the Pacific Research Institute. Sally, thanks for joining us this morning. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Good morning. Uh, I appreciate you coming on because this is such a very important story. Um, you know, we have been listening to and watching the impeachment uh, uh, trial take place, and it has taken some of the focus off of some of the, well, quite frankly, the insane promises and policies being put forth by some of the Democrat uh, uh, um, candidates for the the, the uh, nomination. Medicare for All is right at the top of that list. There are a lot of things, you know, open borders and other things that I could go on about, but but Medicare for All and a complete government takeover of our health, not just our health care in terms of cost, but our actual health, is a terrifying uh, idea. Is that what prompted you to write this book? Well, I'm originally Canadian from Vancouver. I worked at the Fraser Institute, where in the late 80s we started work on a project called Waiting Your Turn, a guide to hospital waiting lists in Canada. And the first one came out in 1993 when the average wait from seeing a primary care doctor to getting treatment by a specialist 
was 9.3 weeks. Last year, that weight, 20.9 weeks. That's over five months. So I've been working on this project um, since 1988. I moved to the U.S. in 91. There was a, a single-payer initiative in California, which we defeated. There were Hillary Care, Obamacare. And now, of course, as we, we were seeing Bernie Sanders, who I call the Pied Piper of single-payer health care, he started on this in 87 when he went to Canada. But now, then he, in, in, um, when he was running against, in 2016, when he was running against Hillary Clinton for the nomination, um, he, he really pushed forward. And now, you know, he's probably uh, number one and number two in the polls yeah. um, in terms of getting it. And so, you know, we, uh, someone like myself who's been writing, I write, you know, op-eds every week. This is my eighth book on health care. We have to educate the American people because people buy into the fact Bernie Sanders says there will be no premiums, no deductibles, no co-pays, no referrals to specialists, and it'll all be free. And, of course, this is completely uh, wrong. I mean, we have to educate the American people on what it would mean because it would mean, just like in Canada and the U.K., long wait, ration care the older you are, a doctor shortage, higher and new taxes, and it won't be free. The Canadian, the average Canadian family today spends $13,311 a year in hidden taxes to pay for this system where, where you're on a waiting list or you're like my mother who died from colon cancer because she was too old to get a colonoscopy, too many young people on the list. Um, wow, that's a, that's a lot to tackle. To the very last point that you made about your mother, first of all, I'm very sorry to hear that. That's awful. Um, can you espouse upon that? Did, because when this was being pushed forward in 2008 in the uh, campaigns, um, Sarah Palin, who was the vice presidential candidate with, um, uh, with John McCain, said that there will be death panels if Obama is elected and able to put forth uh, you know, a, a single-payer health care system, a government-run health care system, and she was widely and routinely mocked for that. Her point was that there will be decisions made by governmental bureaucrats to decide who dies and who doesn't, who gets life-saving treatment and who doesn't, and it sounds like that's what you just described happened in Canada. Well, well exactly, because... Um, I don't like to use the word death panels, but it really is ration care. And, you know, as I say, when my mom um, thought she had colon cancer, she went to the, her, do her general practitioner. You, don't, you can't go to a specialist in Canada. You have to first go through uh, your GP. He ordered an X-ray, which, of course, does not detect colon cancer. Um, he said, well, you're, I, said, call, I, call, I said to my mom, call back, say you have to have a colonoscopy. And they said, you're, too, you're a senior, you're too old, we have too many people on the waiting list. Finally, in November, um, she started hemorrhaging, and she went to the hospital in an ambulance, two days in the emergency room, two days in the transit lounge, waiting for a bed in a ward in Vancouver. She got her colonoscopy, but died two weeks later from metastasized colon cancer. This is what happens when government, single-payer means there is no private health care at all. The government provides all health care that is deemed to be medically necessary, which is everything except for LASIK surgery and plastic surgery and a few few other things. And the same thing would happen here. The Canadian government spends 11% of GDP on health care. We spend 18%, but Canada has to limit how much it's going to be spent, and that's why you have the long wait. Doctors, of course, quit medicine when the government took over, and they still continue to. Britain has a shortage of 100,000 um, doctors, nurses, and health care workers today, and they have over 4 million people on the waiting list because the National Health Service, which covers 90% of Brits, um, doesn't have the funding to, to, to take care of all of this. 
That is a devastating story you just told, and I cannot even imagine how furious you and your family uh, were over the over the treatment of your mother and the fact that this was a preventable death potentially had they given her that colonoscopy on time and instead allowing it to allowing it to metastasize. We're talking to Sally Pipes. She is again the president, and CEO, and Thomas W. Smith Fellow in Healthcare Policy at the Pacific Research Institute. Her new book, she says, her eighth on healthcare policy is false premise, false promise: the disastrous relief of Medicare for all. In this book, Sally, you declare that health care is not a right. That's one of the favorite uh, talking points or favorite lines from Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and others is that health care is a human right. You, you argue that it is not. Can you explain? Right. So Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, and by the way, Elizabeth Warren, who was very much in favor of single-payer Medicare for all, she is now doing a stepping stone approach. In the first 100 days, she would introduce a public option, a government insurance plan to compete against private insurers, and then in her third year in office, of course, people would so love the government insurance plan that it would be the time would be right to go to a single-payer health care plan, i.e. banning all government. One to two million people would lose their jobs in the insurance industry and, and doctors and hospitals. Anyway, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, yes, health care is a right. But like all goods and services, health care is necess- uh, necessarily scarce. Declaring a right to health care means green-lighting essentially unlimited demand for health care and that's not going to engender unlimited supply i mean how do you how how do you determine how how large that right will be do, do you have the right to top-notch care do you have the right to equal care um do, do does the government have the ban the right to ban people from buying health private health care well absolutely under bernie and elizabeth's plan and if i have a right to health care you do does the government have the right to tell us to keep ourselves healthy do we waive, waive that right if we're a smoker or if we're obese? In the UK today, patients are only eligible for certain procedures if they lose weight or quit smoking. We have a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. If we have to have, if healthcare become a, becomes a human right, I mean, we have, we'd have to have a right to food because if we don't have food, we can't, we can't live. So this is a really ridiculous um, idea that Bernie is telling uh, the American people. And he's also saying that 11 million illegal immigrants have a right to health care and therefore would be covered um, under his plan. These are tremendous changes for the American people. And the American people need to know, while well, 53% say they support Medicare for all, when they're asked, well, what if it means you'll lose your employer-sponsored coverage, which, of course, covers 180 million Americans, or you're going to have to face tax increases to pay for it. And Bernie has finally admitted that you'd have to have a new income tax, a new a, a higher employer payroll tax, wealth taxes, uh, taxes on large financial institutions. All of this, thirty to forty trillion dollars over ten years. So you know we at we least Bernie's to, honest about that part. Uh, Elizabeth right, Warren denies yes, that. Yes. She denies any of those tax increases. Right, exactly. The middle class won't pay a cent, but of course there would be an empl- a new and higher employer payroll tax. Employers don't pay the tax. We, the taxpayers, pay that tax. Even even the, um, Mr. Jost on Saturday Night Live said that's fanciful and absolutely ridiculous. The middle class will pay because that's where the bulk of the taxpayers are. Um, you mentioned your mother's story in Canada, and you talked about a little bit about the U.K. If I do a quick Google search, or actually I don't like Google, I use the DuckDuckGo. I'll, if I do a DuckDuckGo search for list of countries with universal government-run health care, it's dozens and dozens of countries long. Um, can you, and do you cover in the book how universal health care, government-controlled health care is affecting other countries besides Canada and the U.K., and, and what can you say about it? 
Does it work well, anywhere? Have... Maybe may a better question, Sally, is do any of those countries, does it work? Well, so we, we, I only look at what, you know, what is, I look at the U.S. system, I look at what single payer would mean for the U.S., and then I look at Canada and the U.K. because they're close, you know, to us and, um, and so good examples. In Canada, sure. Canada is one of three countries in the world that has a true single payer system, i.e., Canada, Cuba, and North Korea. Isn't that frightening, uh, to people? And then the other countries like the it's UK, not good France, company to Germany, be in. <laughs> yeah, they have what we call universal coverage systems. They have private and government insurance running parallel, and we have that too. We have fifty percent of our healthcare today in America is in the hands of government. Look at the VA; it is a single payer system, and look at how our vets are being treated under the VA system. There are stories, horror stories, every day in the media. But countries that have universal coverage systems, they're already having huge problems because of the cost of government care they're having to cut back and and so they run parallel but we we have both here with medicaid medicare the va and the chip program so we need in order to have the best continue to have the best health care in the world we need we can if we empower doctors and patients competition and choice will open that up people should be able to get the kind of coverage that suits their needs and those of their families a government takeover of our health care system will do exactly the opposite. And once you get one of these systems, as you know, very, very difficult uh, to get rid of it. Sally Pipes is my guest. Her new book is Fake Premise, Fake Promise. Or, I'm sorry, False Premise, False Promise. My apologies. Same word, but or same meaning, but different <laughs> yes, word. Uh, the disastrous yes. reality of, of Medicare for All. Sally, Obamacare is a disaster. I think everyone knows that. Everybody is, is, um, acknowledges the status quo is, is not sustainable. Um, you know, middle class and lower middle class families have seen deductibles rise as high as $12,000. People who had their doctors and had their plans and were told they would be able to keep them could not. Their deductibles and their co-pays went through the roof. Everybody is struggling and suffering. So nearly a decade after Obamacare, now they're calling for this complete government takeover. Two questions. One, why would we trust Democrats who wrote the Obamacare legislation that passed and is a disaster 10 years from 10, you know, 10 years on now? Why would we let them re- rewrite it? And secondly, Sally, the biggest issue that so many people have is how do we cover people with pre-existing conditions? How do we cover babies who are born with certain conditions? How do we cover things that, uh, you know, they're, they're no fault of anybody? And, uh, you know, we ask the insurance companies to pick up the tab for something that is not insurance. It's paying for services provided after diagnosis. So how do we deal with those? Or, or what is your response to those two things? Right. Well, so Obamacare will be 10 years old on March 23rd. Mm-hmm. I thought it would, I didn't, like you, I didn't think it would pass, but I did think the Supreme Court would overturn it on two different occasions, but it didn't. But, you know, Obamacare, we turned the healthcare system upside down for a maximum of 13 million people, and today it's about 9 million people. It would have been cheaper to give all of these people private insurance, and it would be a lot cheaper, and they would have better better coverage. So, as you say, high deductibles, high premiums, um, uh, inability to get the doctor that you used to have, all of these things have really upset people, and so very few people have, you know, signed on to um, the exchanges, even if you were eligible for a subsidy. So it, Obamacare was a disaster. I, always, I thought always that Obama, President Obama saw this as a stepping stone approach. It wouldn't work, and therefore we need to go to single payer, which is what he has now come out again and said that he supports single payer. So Obamacare is, is, a, is a disaster. And then on the issue of pre-existing conditions, I think, I feel that the Republicans lost the House because they didn't stand up to the Democrats 
and say how they would deal with pre-existing. The left says we have 120 million people who have pre-existing conditions and therefore would not have coverage. Well, this is a complete lie. hundred Out of those people, out of the 120 million people that have varying degrees of existing or chronic conditions, except for 6 million, they're all covered under employer-sponsored coverage. Those 6 million people that are in the private market that are very expensive would have very expensive health care because of their conditions. What the, what the Fed should have done, and Tom Price and Paul Ryan all suggested this, and I did too, the, government, the federal government should have given um, funds to each of the states so that they could set up high-risk pools for this group of people that would really work and give them good coverage. It would also take the pressure off a lot of the young people who didn't sign up for expensive Obamacare because they were having to subsidize people with pre-existing conditions. The other issue is that people should, when they're young, buy their, their health care. And as long as they keep up the premiums, they would carry on throughout their life. When they get older, of course, you get more conditions when you're older. But that would sort of level the playing field and allow people with pre-existing conditions um, to, to be covered. So those are two things. And I hope that during the campaign that um, President Obama and his team talk about this, because it was, I think, really the reason why the Democrats lost. Boy, the Democrats won, and the Republicans lost the House. I think that's uh, an exceptional answer, and that's a, it's, it's obviously a lot deeper. We have to go a lot deeper, and that's, I'm sure, what you do in the book. I want to encourage everybody to pick this up. It's called False Premise, False Promise, The Disastrous Reality of Medicare for All. Get this book, read it, understand it, digest it in time for November. You cannot vote somebody in who is going to try to push for this, especially, and you never know when they're going to get uh, the full control of the legislature. We didn't think Obamacare would be passed. It was. This would be Obamacare on uh, a disastrous amount of steroids. Uh, Sally Pipes is the author. Sally, thank you so much for uh, speaking the truth to us about Medicare for All. And again, uh, thank you for sharing your personal story as well. Okay, thank you. Thank you. God bless. Sally Pipes, again, you heard her. She's originally Canadian, and uh, her mother died because of the Canadian health care waiting list, because of the Canadian uh, universal health coverage that everybody on the left likes to tout. They do it in Canada, yeah, and they die in Canada because um, the government will not greenlight treatment for certain people. She didn't like to use the word death panels, but Sarah Palin was right. There are death panels in governments that control full health care. Back after this. Now heard through downtown, through Greater Cleveland, on 102.5 FM. It's the Bob France Authority. Alright, 10.56. Short segment to wrap it up as always. We'll try to squeeze in a call or two here. I've been uh, very busy today with uh, audio interviews and uh, essays that I needed to share with you, so apologies for not getting to the calls very often. Tony in South Euclid is going to get in, though, before the top of the hour. Hi, Tony. Go right ahead. Yes, I really appreciate you taking my call. Listen, I'm I'm, uh, calling in regards to this Denver Post gentleman. Listen, all they had to do was, uh, instead of firing him, just correct him and say that there are three sexes, which is a male, female, and a hermaphrodite. Those anatomically are three of the sexes that we are that are aware of. I'm not a scientist, okay? I'm not in the medical field, but we are aware of the, the basic fundamentals of sexes. And I don't know why nobody else has mentioned, mentioned this. 
and also well, one of the reasons why one of the reasons why is the term hermaphrodite is considered to be offensive. Uh, I would say that. And number two, I would disagree with you, Tony, respectfully. It's not a third sex. It is a birth defect in the same way that somebody is born with six toes on one foot or somebody is born with no nose or somebody is born with no ears. And we see birth defects all the time. Things happen. Somebody born with both male and female genitalia, you're right, the traditional term has been hermaphrodite. It's considered to be, like I said, a bit of a uh, an offensive term. Not that I care too much about the offensiveness aspect, but it's not a third sex. It's a, it's a birth defect uh, like so many other birth defects. Deaf children are born without hearing, and so on and so forth. Those things well, are just I, you know, medical, sir, I, I medical really, and anatomical outliers. That's, that's not true, though, because I think we, we all need to do our research on that. That, that is a, a very known fact for years, and it's not a defect. Um, Stella Walsh was a hermaphrodite. Nobody knew that. And look at what she accomplished. She wasn't defective at all for what things that she accomplished. So no, 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 no. When, 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 I, when I say the word defect, Tony, uh, it, it's not suggesting that there's something they cannot do. Uh, again, somebody who's born without an arm uh, can be super, uh, super successful at a lot of things. It didn't quote unquote, you know, it didn't make them defective. But it is not normal. It is not normal to be born without an arm. It is, a, it is an outlier. It's a defect. It is not normal to be born with both sets of genitalia. That is also a defect. That does not mean that you cannot live a functional, happy, successful, great life. It just It's not a well, sex. It's a defect. I, I disagree, and I think maybe we need a specialist to come on and explain exactly what that exactly is. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, I mean, I, I bring I bring experts on for all kinds of things. I would have no problem doing that in this case either. But understand that the point the Denver Post columnist made, it, it is, you know, it is binary in that males and females are simply decided by chromosomes, not just anatomy. X, X, and X, Y. There is no third option. If you are born with an extra set of genital organs, um, again, that is a birth defect. That is a, a, you know, a genetic mishap in the same way that somebody can be born without all kinds of other body parts or with extra body parts. These kinds of things are, are just, you know, they're unexplained in terms of science. But they're defects. They do not change the fact that there are only male and female chromosomes. Um, but, yeah, I will talk to experts if I get the opportunity. Thanks so much for the time, everybody, today. Stay here. Mike Gallagher's next. Bye-bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.